to be honest. Um, in the last few weeks, I've been traveling around a little bit. And um, for those of you that I see often here, I miss you uh, when I'm traveling. So it's really nice to be back with you again this evening. And uh, it's even nicer to have a chance to dive into God's Word together. Before I start, I just want to highlight something that perhaps is very obvious to everybody after um, the last five to ten minutes. And that is the power of a personal testimony. Um, Often, and we're going to talk about this tonight, often when we are faced with a situation where there are people around us who don't know Jesus Christ personally as their Lord and Saviour, we get very intimidated as to how on earth we can break the ice. How can we bring up the things of God? The reality is you and I, as Christian believers, those of you who know Jesus know this to be true, that we've got a great message to share. It's something that's actually impacted us personally. It's changed us personally. And we're eager to share it with other people. But often the case is we're not sure how to go about it, how to enter in, how to actually engage with the people around us who really need to hear that news. And let me just say, one of the most powerful tools in the arsenal that you have been given by Jesus is your personal testimony. It's what he's done in your life. And you may think, well, it's nothing spectacular. I beg to differ. I beg to differ on the basis of the God who has instigated the change. And your testimony is girded with the message of Jesus. It's girded with the message of the gospel. And it's a saving gospel. It's a transforming gospel. It's a powerful gospel. And if you don't know where to start, just share your life with the people around you. It's not difficult. And Sam, thanks. It's powerful. Well, we're going to dive straight in. If you have your Bibles, I encourage you to grab them. And we're going to tonight be spending just a few minutes in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 19. This is a very familiar story. And it relates to what I was just talking about. That tension of how to engage with people around us who don't know Jesus. I don't know about you, but I love Jesus very, very much. I love the good news of salvation in Jesus very, very much. It's changed my life, and I want to share it with other people. But as I said, it's not difficult. And in this story tonight, it's helpful to see how Jesus went about engaging with lost people. It can help us to know how to get underway. So Luke chapter 19, starting at verse 1. Very simple story, well-known story, but let's get the biblical version rather than the kid's storybook version. He entered Jericho, that's Jesus in verse 1, and was passing through, and there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich, and he was seeking to see who Jesus was. But on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small of stature. So he ran on ahead and he climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry, down, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. 
And Zacchaeus stood and said to the, to the Lord, Behold, Lord, half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. It's worth us just taking a moment to understand the context. I'm a context person. You might have picked that up on previous occasions. To understand what was going on, especially prior to this in the life of Jesus, and also what was going to be happening just after this. Whether you realize it or not, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, the people, in this case Luke, the people who wrote the books of the Bible, did so in a very deliberate fashion. The stories that are in there are in a position in relation to even other stories in order to teach us things. So what was going on? Well, up to this point, we're in, of course, Luke chapter 19. Now, this is getting late into the book of Luke, into the gospel of Luke. And up to that point, we know that Jesus had been conducting his earthly ministry. He had been doing amazing things. It was an amazing ministry. Why? Well, he had been teaching people the truth of God's word, the Old Testament scriptures, in a way that they had never heard before. They'd never heard it explained so clearly. But on top of that, he'd also, as he'd gone from place to place, spending time with people, he'd also been doing some fairly miraculous things. Jesus had been healing the sick. He'd been restoring sight to the blind. He'd been allowing the lame to walk again. He'd been driving out demons, and he'd even been raising the dead. In fact, we read just before this, in, at the end of chapter 18, that he had healed a blind man just outside the city of Jericho. Jesus' presence, his life, his ministry, was one that brought very real and very practical transformation into people's lives. It was the real deal, and it was done in the power of the Holy Spirit. How do we know it was done in the power of the Holy Spirit? The whole of Jesus' ministry was in the power of the Holy Spirit. In Luke 3, we see that Jesus went to be baptized in the Jordan by John the Baptist. And at that time, the Holy Spirit descended on him in something like the form of a dove. And from that time on, Jesus was directed and led and empowered by the Spirit of the living God in what he did. How do we know that? Well, in Luke chapter 4, the very next chapter, right at the beginning, it says he went out into the wilderness. But why did he go there? It says he was led there by the Spirit. Jesus was dependent upon the Spirit of the living God. In his ministry. So that's one reality that was going on this amazing transform, transformational ministry of Jesus. But there was an understandable reaction around him as this unfolded. There was a crowd that was always following him. The people gathered, which was a fairly understandable thing. They were witnessing real change taking place they saw it before their very eyes it was it was visible it was physical it was practical things that they were seeing take place they were undeniable it was the real thing and they wanted to witness what was going on now there was going to be different levels of people wanting to check this out and we we know that this is natural it's probably natural within our own hearts at times for some undoubtedly there was the thrill of seeing something cool a spectacle, something that they hadn't seen before. Well, that's neat. That's a first. But for others, perhaps, there was wanting to understand, well, what's this all about? What's really going on? 
And then there were those undoubtedly who were wanting or realizing that they perhaps needed something of what they were seeing taking place in their own life as a reality. So the context was this powerful, transforming life of Jesus moving around throughout the land of Israel, which understandably was grabbing people's attention and arousing their curiosity at various levels. And it's interesting to see how Jesus responds to the reality of this being the situation. And in this passage, we see three key things that Jesus did, which I think is actually really helpful for us today as we look to engage with the situation that we live in. The first thing we see that Jesus did is that he searched for the lost. Now, we know that Jesus was already amongst the people all the time. In fact, you read the Gospels and it seems the people are never far away. Jesus had to work to get away from them, to go and find a quiet place to pray to his father up on a hill through the night or something like that. The people were always around. But he wasn't just among the people. We see in this story that even though the people were a constant around his ministry, that Jesus was, in a sense, on the lookout for certain people. And when he came to Zacchaeus, he looked up in the tree, verse 5 tells us. Now, that's a fairly decisive thing that Jesus did at that moment. People everywhere, but at that moment, he came along and looked up in the tree at Zacchaeus. Why? Why Zacchaeus? Well, we are told very clearly in verse 3 that Zacchaeus wanted to see who Jesus was. Now, the words that are used here are, are interesting. This isn't Zacchaeus wanting to just get a glimpse or have a bit of a gawk at what was going on. Wanting to see who Jesus was indicates something deeper. Zacchaeus wanted to understand what all the fuss was about. Perhaps he'd heard, perhaps he'd seen. We don't know. The text doesn't tell us. But there was a desire in Zacchaeus to actually engage at a more deep level with what was going on. But we notice still from a safe distance. He didn't just want to see, but he was strongly committed to this cause. Because, of course, the text tells us, we know in verse four, 3 and 4, that Zacchaeus had a bit of a barrier to seeing Jesus. He had the desire, but there were some barriers. Firstly was his physical stature and the reality of a crowd. He was committed to overcoming that, and he ran ahead to the sycamore tree. Now, there was something else that Zacchaeus had to overcome here, the text tells us that Zacchaeus was a chief tax collector. Now, that in reality means that in that town, he was perhaps one of the, if not the most, wealthy person. And his life would undoubtedly, as tax collectors' lives did, reflect his status and his wealth in society. His clothing, his manner, his demeanor, the way he conducted his life. People would have known about Zacchaeus and his role and his position. Now, he ran ahead and he climbed into a tree. That's a fairly odd thing for perhaps the best-dressed guy in town to be doing. We might expect it of the neighborhood children. They naturally couldn't see either because they were also short. But the best-dressed guy in town? So it certainly indicates Zacchaeus' commitment to the cause and how keen he was to get the information he was seeking. Now, we could say, well, this strange phenomenon of the rich guy, the nicely dressed guy stuck in the tree, may have helped Jesus identify the state of Zacchaeus' heart. We don't know. It doesn't tell us that. 
But I think we also need to acknowledge here how Jesus operated throughout his ministry. And we've already mentioned this, haven't we? How did he conduct his ministry? In the power and leading and guidance of the Holy Spirit. So when Zacchaeus, when Jesus came and stopped by the tree and looked up at Zacchaeus, was it that it was a spectacle? That it was something odd to see, perhaps? But we can be assured that Jesus also did it under the guidance of the Holy Spirit. And in Zacchaeus, Jesus, under that guidance, encountered and recognized the type of person that he was ready to engage with. This was somebody who really wanted to know who Jesus was. So in response, Jesus stopped and engaged. Jesus searched for the lost. The second thing we see that Jesus did is he stayed with the lost. Jesus, very clearly in this passage, it says twice in verse 1 and verse 4, had been intending to pass through Jericho. We read in the context of Luke that at that time, Jesus was actually traveling to Jerusalem. This was what is called the Jerusalem journey. He was on his way to Jerusalem to perform a very special task, to head to Calvary, to head to the cross, to die for the sins of the world. He was passing through, but when he met Zacchaeus that day, in some respect, there was a change to the immediate plan. This wasn't the first time. We see Jesus had been intending to pass through earlier in chapter 18 when the blind man had called out to him, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And he'd had to do it twice and the crowd was telling him to be quiet and he called all the louder. And Jesus, as a response, adjusted the plan. He stopped and said, well, bring him to me. And we know the story that Jesus restored that man's sight. But here was a slightly deeper, more committed deviation with Zacchaeus. In verse 5, Jesus said, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. And the word stay there is not just to hang out for five minutes. It's actually to lodge. So instead of passing through Jericho and continuing on his way to the fulfillment of God's salvation plan Jerusalem, Here he was willing to stay there and more importantly to stay with Zacchaeus at that moment. Jesus stayed with the lost. The third thing we see that Jesus did was that he was willing to sacrifice for the lost. In stopping, Jesus gave up certain things. He gave up his time, perhaps some energy, Certainly his attention was captured by Zacchaeus from other places. But we also see that he gave up something else. On that occasion, he gave up his reputation. Because we see in verse 7, this statement, and they saw it and they all, they all grumbled. Have you ever been in a situation where, for some reason, you are the center of public disapproval? It may have been as simple as uh, being in a public place and dropping something that broke and everyone turns around and looks at you or something similar. If so, Jesus indeed understands because this is exactly what happened. They all grumbled. This was universal condemnation. But you know what? Jesus didn't really get too upset about that. Do you know why? Because lost people were actually his agenda. 
It says that very clearly in verse 10, doesn't it? For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. They were actually the reason why Jesus had come from heaven to earth. It was why Jesus was here. He'd come to give them his time, his energy, and very soon he was going to give up his life for them. Jesus sacrificed for the lost. Now Luke's account here tells us the result that took place. It was really clear and it was actually quite dramatic. And it's summarized in Jesus' statement in verse 9. He said, Today, salvation, genuine saving power has come into this house and into this man's life. Now, we can look at this and think, genuine salvation? Really? It doesn't have actually a lot of the hallmarks that I would think are necessary for salvation. But it's very interesting to take a moment and look at what happened here. In Zacchaeus' response, the crowd grumbled, but Zacchaeus made a response here. He stood up and he said, this is where I'm at. The first thing he said is, Behold, Lord, half of my goods I give to the poor. Now we know straight away, if you read through Luke, you don't have to go back very far in the Gospel of Luke, two chapters before, giving up things to the poor was pretty important to Jesus. In fact, Jesus considered this to be a genuine indication of a heart condition that was ready to follow him. Because he had said to the rich young ruler, Sell all that you have and distribute to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. But a problem is here because Zacchaeus said he was willing to give up half, not the whole deal. How committed really was Zacchaeus? Well, that was only half of his response. The second half was says, And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. Now that if isn't a like, I'm not sure if I have, I'll check it out. Uh, now this is an if in terms of, in every case that I have defrauded people, I'm going to fix this up. I'm willing to do the right thing here. And he said fourfold. Now, that actually was far more than necessary. If you read the Old Testament, for somebody that had been doing the types of things that Zacchaeus had been doing, he only had to pay back what he'd taken dishonestly, plus a fifth. So to restore fourfold was far more than he had to do. But here's the reality. This was a potentially massive amount of money. In fact, if you do the math, and I'm no mathematician, but this one wasn't too hard. If you do the math, Zacchaeus only would have had to have an eighth of what he owned in the world to have been gained by dishonest means to, after all this is said and done, to end up with nothing. Nothing at all. So, in all likelihood... This was probably going to cost him everything. There was true brokenness in Zacchaeus here. True repentance. He was willing to do what the rich young ruler couldn't do and walked away sad. But you know, how can a person genuinely have that caliber of a change of heart in their life? There's only one way. In chapter 18, verse 27, Jesus had said to his disciples, they were questioning him about this as the young ruler had walked away, and they said, What's the deal? And he said, well, you see, that sort of change in a life is impossible with man. But then he added, but what is impossible with men is possible with God. So what actually happened in Zacchaeus that day? What affected the change in his heart of that degree? God did. Only God did. Confession, repentance, a heart that's hungering for righteousness... 
This was a genuine, deep, life-transforming change. This was genuine salvation, and that's why Jesus said it was. Well, here's the thing. That's what happened then. But for you and I, as believers today, do you realize that we're in exactly the same situation as what Jesus was? What do I mean? How can that be? Is our context really the same? Well, here's the thing. The life of Jesus, the ministry of Jesus, the presence of Jesus attracted others because of the power of the Holy Spirit that flowed through him and through his ministry. What was so attractive was the power of God in his life. And here's the deal. Do you realize that your life as a Christian believer is filled with the same power? Paul, these are my three favorite verses. This is why Paul, in Galatians 2.20, talked about the fact that it was no longer himself that lived, but Christ that lived in him. And the life that he now lived in the flesh, he lived by faith in the Son of God, who loved him and gave himself up for him. It's why Paul, in Colossians 1.27, talked about the mystery, which was Christ in you. It's why Paul, in 1 Corinthians 3, talks about the fact of, do you not realize that your body is a temple of what? The Holy Spirit. The reality for a Christian believer today is that God's Holy Spirit lives in us. And as a result of that truth, whether you realize it or not, our lives are characterized by His transforming restoring power and that's happened to us firstly personally you are a different person now in jesus christ because he actually resides in you yes you have been forgiven yes you have had your eternal salvation assured because of that forgiveness but here's the deal your life is now indwelt by the living god it operates on a completely different framework And whether or not you feel like you've experienced this a little bit or a lot, it is the truth. It is the biblical truth. It is what you are allowed to expect as a believer in Jesus Christ. This is the given. This is just like Jesus, same spirit. We have experienced this in our own lives, in our own transformation, but there's also those around us again, whether you are aware of it or not, that also notice that change. Some of you undoubtedly undoubtedly have had people come to you and say, what's the difference? What's changed? The presence and power of Jesus Christ in us. So people are going to be curious about that. People are going to be interested in this. And perhaps no one has ever come to you and asked you about it. But it doesn't mean that they haven't noticed. They're going to have questions. There are some people out there, can I say, who are metaphorically already climbing the trees to try and see what the difference is. To see who Jesus really is. And you know what? We want to see the same result taking place as happened in the life of Zacchaeus. We want to see people actually be saved. We want to see them have a real 
and genuine personal encounter with Jesus to confess and repent of their sins, to be forgiven and joyfully experience the indwelling and transforming power of God's Holy Spirit in their own life. That's what we're hungering to see. But here's here's the thing. In order for that to happen, God has called you and I as believers to play a really important part in his salvation plan. We are not just called to personally experience the life of Christ for ourselves. But we have been called to participate in the ministry of Jesus Christ. We were given the Great Commission. We know that as believers. Go out into all the world and share the gospel in Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the, ends of the earth. But this was never intended to be a solo act. This is not our primary responsibility. It's something we submit to the authority and presence and power of the living God in us. And you know, at the beginning of the book of Acts, Luke starts Acts in a really interesting way. He says it's the continuation. It's the second letter he wrote to Theophilus. And he says, this is the continuation of the words and the actions of Jesus. Well, you know, I read through the book of Acts and Jesus, apart from chapter 1, actually isn't in there physically. But he is everywhere spiritually. Jesus is in Acts in his church, in the people of God. The people of God are the ones that are designed to continue the literal words and actions of Jesus, just like he was doing in the book of Luke. That's pretty exciting. And it continues in the power of the same Spirit. So here's the question. Are we willing? Are we ready to dare to believe Are we prepared to engage with the lost people around us just in the same way that Jesus did? And that leads us to asking some fairly heavy-duty questions. And these will shake you up just like they shake me up every time. Firstly, are we willing to go and search for the lost? Are you willing to be amongst them? That often occurs naturally in our lives. We have our workplaces, we have our uni campuses, we've got our high school campuses. We're we're already out there. But there are many around us who don't know Jesus. The question is, which ones is God wanting us to engage with? Are we looking up and searching the trees? Are we relying on the Spirit to actually guide us to those who have bothered to climb. You know, as I said, there are people around us who have made a small, bold step in their life to start checking things out. Are we honed? Do we have our eyes open to see these people around us that have already taken that step? They've already come out of their comfort zone. They may be the best dressed, but they've actually climbed a tree and they're trying to get a bit of a glimpse of what is actually going on. Are we ready to engage with our world looking for these people? I have experience with some ministries that do this really well, that actually go out there to where the people are at. Prison fellowship, going into the prisons. Community of hope that James is coordinating in the festival. RE in schools. But you know, you don't have to even do it in a formal ministry. You can do it in your own neighborhood. It's just praying and heading out. Relying on the Spirit to guide. Are we then willing to stay with the lost. And this is where things start to cut a little closer to the bone. 
setting aside other agendas, even important ones, and remembering that, you know, the lost are the reason that we are here. You want to know why Jesus hasn't returned yet? Because his work isn't done. His work is not yet done. And he's asked us to be involved. We were given the commission to spread the gospel that others might be saved. Are we willing to stop and engage and stay with them? Are we willing to actually hang around, not once, but multiple times, to share a meal, not once, but multiple times, to share life's journey, to hook in alongside people, to be in their communities, perhaps even to go and live where they're living. You know what? There's real power in presence. You've experienced this in your own life, for sure. A presence that won't leave you, that will actually come and is willing to stay where you're at. It shows acceptance and commitment. And you know, when we stay with people, when we're willing to journey with them, that shows them the commitment and acceptance of Jesus Christ. Are we willing to change things in our lives so that we can stay with the lost? And finally, are we willing to sacrifice for the lost? Are we ready to give up our time, our energy, our resources, our comfort, our reputation even perhaps, so that God might impact the lives of the lost with a living gospel? displayed through you and I. You know what? That's going to be super uncomfortable. I guarantee it. It's going to be unfamiliar. It's going to be difficult. It's going to challenge us, you and I, about our assumptions about all sorts of things. And I guarantee it will hurt. It's going to hurt. And we're not always going to know the nature of what's going to be demanded of us when we begin. But through our own sacrifice, and let me say this, only through our sacrifice can we actually truly show those who don't know Jesus his sacrificial love for them. Are we willing to sacrifice for the lost? Here's the thing. True salvation, you and I know this, will only ever come through the work of God, just like it did in Zacchaeus' life. Only Jesus Christ can genuinely save and transform people's lives. Only in the power of the Spirit. When and how it happens is under his sovereign control. But we have been called to play a part, you and me. We are engaged and you don't have to go to the other side of the world to do it. You can do it right here, wherever you already are. And it's vital. Are we searching for the lost? Are we willing and ready to stay with the lost? And are we willing and ready to sacrifice for the lost? You and I are the way that God in his sovereign plan has designed for others to hear about the saving gospel of Jesus Christ. Yes, his salvation will only come by his hand, but we are to be involved. Let me finish with this. You know my favorite uh, emergency service out of all that exists in the world is the Coast Guard. There's some cool television programs and some cool movies about it. That's one thing. Uh, but what I love about the Coast Guard is how it operates. You know, when there's an emergency off the coast of Alaska or something, those guys will come from their homes, they'll hop on board that chopper and they'll fly out. You know, they will fly out as far as the fuel in their helicopter will take them and they will stay there as long as they possibly can. And you know what happens when they get there? Let me tell you what they don't do. They do not get a life ring and throw it in. No, they dive in themselves. They dive in themselves. And here's the thing. Once they are in, they will not leave. 
and they are ready to sacrifice themselves. Do you know what their motto is? Does anyone know their motto? That others might live. My friends, there is a world out here that is dying and needs to know the gospel of Jesus Christ. I ask you to put this to prayer. That God may guide you in the power of his Holy Spirit to be ready to search for the lost. To be ready to stay with them when you find them. And to be ready to sacrifice for them. Why? So that they can live. So that in Jesus Christ, they can truly live. It's a privilege that we have been called to participate in a plan that is going to make all the difference in eternity to so many. It's God's grace, and we're dependent on him. But let me assure you that he is faithful in this. And as we submit ourselves to the power of his spirit, you watch what he does. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word and the challenge it brings to us. Lord Jesus, it's very easy in our lives to not be sure and perhaps a little bit timid and and, um, unsure of how to step forward with this precious news that we want to share with others. Lord, we thank you that in your word you have given us clear instruction, but it's not just theory. Lord God, I thank you that you can sow this into our lives in the power of your spirit who lives within us. I thank you that we live new lives in Jesus Christ and that you have chosen by your grace to involve us in your plan of salvation that we can actually share with other people, whether it be here or on the other side of the world, the good news of salvation through Jesus Christ. Lord, help us to seek you on this issue. Lord, to submit ourselves before your throne each day, to ask you to help us to search, to stay and to sacrifice, Lord, that others may live. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you're with us at every step of the way in this journey. And we thank you that we need not ever fear that we have you with us in power, and you will lead and guide faithfully. Thank you for this time together. In your precious name we pray. Amen.